We're talking about deliverance, the subject of deliverance. It's not a subject you can go anywhere to either teach on or really to talk about because it's not a subject that the average church member knows much about. In fact, it's been my experience around Christians that most Christians know very little about what you mean when you talk about deliverance or when you talk about what the devil does or how the devil does what he does and how what he does manifests itself in people, people who need to be undone from that. We call that deliverance, being set free from all the bondages and the snares that the devil brings into people's lives, and he does. He's a master at it. And as Christians, we have to be on our toes. We can't let down because we go to church or we've been baptized or we have a hearty feeling about God. You can't just assume that because you feel like that or you're active in church that the devil can't touch you because he certainly can. We are told in Peter's epistle that the devil goes about like a roaring lion seeking whom he can devour. It doesn't say he can't devour Christians or try to because he does. His major weapon against us is ignorance. As the prophet said in the Old Testament, my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. When Timothy spoke in his epistle, he said that you can be taken captive by the devil. You can be in 2 Timothy 2. Or he spoke of in Ephesians 4, Paul said that you're not to give place to the devil. He wouldn't have said that if we couldn't. Sometimes Christians let their guard down. You know, we're given a guard, a shield, and there's something in Ephesians 6 about warfare and that we are to use all of these implements of warfare against the enemy because he's real, he's there. You can't see him, but our warfare is not against what we see. It's not against that hateful person or those terrorists somewhere else. Our warfare as Christians is against principalities and powers, unseen forces that dwell in the heavenly places who come into our lives to kill and to steal and destroy, to rob you of something, to cheat you, to defeat you, make you sad, forlorn, dismal, does whatever he can to make you hateful and ugly and difficult, rebellious, hard-headed, temperamental, whatever he can do to make you not what God wants. See, one of the truths in the Bible, it's not hidden, it's there, but it's this. The work of the devil is to turn you in a direction different than the one God gives. God said this is the way walking in, and so many people and many Christians are just not that interested in doing that. Their lives are so busy caught up in what they want to do and where they want to go that this would be a hindrance to their life to do things his way. So the devil is able to lead people away or astray. It's what the word deceive means. It means to cause to wonder. James said in his book, the first chapter, he said, when a man is enticed and he lusts after what he's enticed after, he sins. See, that whole scenario is called a temptation. It's a test. You're put to the test. You say you love the Lord. You say, oh, I'm saved and I'm going to heaven and I love the Lord. Then you're put to the test as to where your loyalty is. And you're given something that God really wouldn't want you to have or a place you shouldn't go or something you shouldn't wear or whatever. And it's such a lust in your heart to have that and to do that and to go there that 
You start talking yourself out of why you should do what God said, and you begin to do something you shouldn't do. And he that knoweth to do good and doeth it not to him, it is sin. And sin is how all of us, whoever anybody is, you are snared in life, and you are led into a type of bondage or a captivity by sin. If you didn't sin, if we didn't sin, the devil couldn't touch us. But we're vulnerable, and we need to realize that we're vulnerable. Our hope is in Christ, and as long as we follow him, submit ourselves to him, honor him with our lives and so forth, he'll take care of us. Have you found 2 Corinthians 2 yet? In 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 11, it says, Lest Satan should get an advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. Now, that's true, obviously, because the Bible says it. Now, what happens to us as a body of believers if we bypass studying some of these unpleasant things because we don't like that or the preacher won't preach about it because he knows people don't like that and they wouldn't like him if they talked about it? But what happens to us if we are ignorant of things that are unpleasant but real things, you know, things about the devil? What happens to us? We become what the Bible calls is ignorant, that we're not unintelligent people in the sense of being academically flawed, but we are untaught of specific things in the Bible that we should know about. We are not ignorant of his devices. The devil has things that are called devices. We call them wiles and schemes and clever manipulations of people and persuasions against God or away from God. Or the preacher who doesn't want to preach, like I said, certain things in the Bible. So when he gets to that, if he's teaching a book and he gets to that subject, he begins to change exactly what the Bible means. He doesn't want to offend his congregation. So you kind of make it sound differently than the Bible says it is. And in that sense, he's perverting the gospel. And when he perverts the gospel, the people who hear it have perverted hearing. And they become vulnerable in that area because they won't recognize the devil when he comes around. That's how important the subject is. I'm trying to make a point of it. That there is a real devil. There are real demons. The Bible speaks many times about this. They really do come to bring havoc and wreck your lives. They really do come to mess up your dreams and everything you think you want. They try to make you everything but what God wants you to be because that's the devil's work, to lead you in a way not of God. Look in chapter 11 and verse... Three and four. But I fear, pause to this Corinthian church now, which can't even get along with each other. They don't even like each other. And he says to them concerning the way that church is, with all of its gifts and all of its power and so forth. He said, but I fear lest by any means, as a serpent beguiled Eve through his subtlety, clever persuasions... So your mind should be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. What was that devil's subtle persuasion? Remember, as we've heard so many times here, what did he say to Eve to entice her to sin? He said, hath God said. See, he questioned what she heard as to whether she heard it right. Because don't most people in religion today say, well, that's your interpretation. Well, this is how I see it, and who's to tell me that I'm wrong and you're right? As though the Bible has some private interpretation, or you can make it mean anything you want to. And the devil says to Eve, now, you really think that's what God meant, that you would die 
And these are subtle persuasions. Now, do you, do you really think that God is that bad? What kind of God do you people serve that he would kill you because you ate a piece of fruit on a tree or that you would die because of that? That's not the way God is. And she listened to those subtle persuasions, formed a picture in her mind, a different picture than she should have had, and she yielded to that persuasion. She ate the fruit, and she began to die, and as a result, we die. We're dying tonight. I mean, our bodies are aging, and it ages to a point, and then it goes back to the dust because of that moment. So you see, there's a real devil. He was there. And Paul said, I fear with all your teaching and all your teachers that you have and all these years you've been learning. He said, well, that wouldn't have been so many years in Corinth. But he said, I fear less by any means that the devil has enticed you, has brought clever persuasions into your mind as to why you don't have to live this way or why the Bible is not exactly like that. Why you don't have to do this, you don't have to do that. I mean, if you have to do something, then salvation is by works, they say. And somebody one time went, yeah, that's right. We don't have to do anything. We're saved because we raised our hand and said, I want to go to heaven. And we kept living the way we always live, but we're going to heaven now. Somebody said that. A lot of people believe that. That's the way the devil is. He's enticing and persuasive. And he goes on to say in the next verse, he said, for if someone comes and preaches another Jesus than the one that we preached, another Jesus isn't the Jesus of the Bible. It's a different kind. This is a loving, fun-loving Jesus, sinner-friendly Jesus. He just wants you to love him and you know, all this doctrine, all this Bible stuff, you don't have to do that. I mean, Jesus just wants us to put on our Easter bonnets and sing all hail King Jesus and something about Rudolph and everything is fine. He just wants us to be happy down here. And a lot of people believe that because that's what the human nature wants, comfort and happiness. So you set aside all these commandments that the Lord said, this is the way you walk in. You set that aside and you believe what somebody told you. Next thing you know, you're not walking anyway, but the way you want to walk. And that's the lust and the enticements the devil leads you into. And that's the sin that destroys you. Didn't we say the other day, there is a way that seems right? Everybody out here can't be right. Everybody has truth, but everybody has departed from truth somewhere. But there are very few people that are established in denominational systems or, or strict order systems. They're never going to change that because it's a spirit behind it. Last week, we talked about religious spirits. I just described one. There are churches that were established by men, named after men, Wesleyans and Lutherans and Calvinists and, and many others are named after somebody who had a great influence on people with what they taught taught good things. And people were so enamored with the personality, they built a church around that personality. And another one had another personality, they built it that way. Well, Paul told us in 1 Corinthians 1, didn't he say, who's Paul? Who's Apollos? Who's Luther? Who's Calvin? They're vessels. In fact, everyone are empty vessels unless God fills them. And you take an empty vessel, it's like a statue. It can't do anything. But as a vessel, when God puts something in it, it can do something. But it can only do something when God does something. So it's God who's doing all the work, not the man. These religious spirits are on every corner. People get so involved in the denominational position 
My dad was a Catholic. He could have never been anything else. There wasn't enough bombs in, in wherever they store bombs today to blow him out of that position. Baptists are no different. Church of Christ is no different. Church of God. Pentecostals are no different. It's a working of a spirit that keeps you from going all the way God wants you to go. You go in a certain direction, but then you don't go anymore. A religious spirit can be a loud person, gaudy in some way that attracts attention. They like to prophesy all the time. If you hang a mic in the ceiling, we used to have those seminars up in Indiana, and, and they had mics hanging from the ceiling so that before the sermon, if you wanted to prophesy, you walk up there and stand. The song leader would see you standing there, and he'd stop singing after that song was over so you could prophesy. And it seemed like every week, every night, it was the same person hollering, yay, yay. It never meant much. Nothing was ever moved by it. One night, I remember some lady came up, and she said, everybody must take their shoes off. The ground we're standing on is holy. Well, you know, you think, I don't know if I really want to do that or not. But if that's God, you don't want to miss it. And if it's not God, you don't want to be led about by some religious spirit. And so, you know, it's kind of a turmoil there for a while. Mine didn't have laces on them, so they were easy to get off, but I put them back on. But... These religious spirits are often seen in strange and unusual behavior. But mostly it's things that attract attention. Or within a church, you'll find a lot of religious spirits whose design is to control that overpowering, intimidating, pushy person who just sort of demands attention and respect, and this is the way we're going to do this. Years ago, I think I've told this story. I've told all my stories. The song leader put a little card on the front row there for him to sit in. He's put his name on it so he could, as soon as he got through leading the singing, he'd have a seat. We had more people then. One day, the lady came in. She took that sign, tore it up. Said, it's not scriptural. Show me in the Bible where it says, write your name on a sign somewhere in a little card, put it on the seat, and that's your seat. It's not in the Bible. It's true. But just as a common courtesy to the song leader, he would like to have a seat when he's through singing. And so he put that there with asked for a little okay from everybody else, which is fine. But somebody wants to come along and say, no, we're not going to do it that way. It was just a matter of time until we ran into each other and, and decided it'd be better if, you know, you went another way and we'll stay here and just do our best. And so that person found out that they had a religious spirit always trying to get in your way. So they're everywhere. The Bible speaks quite often about them. We don't want to go into that again. But I do want to say this. In 1 John 3, 7, it says, don't let any man deceive you. In 1 John 2, it says, don't let people seduce you. That is, mislead you. Seduce is to entice and draw you away. Don't let people do that to you. You don't have to follow what anybody says at any time. I don't ask you to believe what I'm saying. I wouldn't ask anybody to do what I'm saying tonight unless you could see it in the Bible. I'm not who anybody follows. Can you amen? amen. God didn't put me here for you to follow me. There's ways you got to live and people can imitate your faith if you got any. But you have to search the scriptures for yourself to see if what you're hearing is true. And if it's true, you believe it not because we're supposed to, but because it's a conviction that you have. The devil can't take that away from you. You may have to walk alone. A lot of people may give up their convictions when the heat comes. But if it's in your heart, you won't. 
You'll die for it if you have to because a conviction is a God-ordered belief. A preference is a strong belief, but you'll give it up under heat. But a conviction is something that God puts in your heart. And he says, this is the way and you must walk this way. Remember, before we go on, Isaiah 8.20 says this, if they speak not according to this word, it's because they have no light. And the light's a wonderful subject as it's mentioned in the Bible. Light is how you see. How could you know where you're going in a dark world if you didn't have light? And in this play on words here, he said, thy word is a light unto my path, the psalmist said. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet. Jesus is the light. He says, I am the light of the world. I've come to show you the way. There are a lot of people that have eyes and can't see because they're blind. They have ears to hear, but this doesn't make sense because they can't hear. It is God who opens our eyes to see. It's God who opens our ears to hear. It's God who in that way brings conviction and thus salvation into our lives. If you're willing, Isaiah said, if you're willing, if you really want it, if you're hungry, if you thirst, you come and this is what God will do for you. He'll put this in your heart and then you'll be tested to see if you really want to live this way. Because it's easy to go to church. It's easy to be a member of a church. It's easy to preach sermons. Not if you've been here for 50 years, but it's easy to preach. I thought the other day, you know, I could go somewhere else I've never been. I couldn't start all over because I don't have many years left. But I could go somewhere else and, and uh, become a pastor. And I never would have to study ever again. I could get in that box of mine and preach every day for five years. But that isn't what you're called to do. You're called to feed sheep, not preach to them. Feed them. And feeding is informing, and so you got to do that. Now, tonight, I want to talk about a second kind of a spirit, because under a subtopic or a subheading of this is identifying spirit activity. They're religious spirits. We're trying to show you what they do and where they are in the Bible and how they act. And tonight, there's another kind of a spirit that you're probably more familiar with. They're called infirm spirits. I want you to turn to Luke chapter 13. Spirits of infirmity. I'm going to ask you some questions tonight. I'm sure you can answer them. But questions that the religious world probably would be uncomfortable even entertaining it, let alone trying to answer it. Spirits of infirmity. Is there such a thing as the work of the devil through his agents? We call them demons, devils. Is it possible that one of the things the devil does is to make people sick? Well, that would fit in with John 10 where the thief comes to kill and to steal and destroy. You could put health in there. He you know, takes away, robs, steals, and the quality of life and all of that. But is the devil the one who does it? Religious people don't even want to have to think about that because surely it's not true. Because if it is true, then I've had a lot of demonic activity in my life. Well, I have too. I have too. That doesn't mean you're demonic yourself. It just means maybe you're being tested. Maybe you're being tempted. It's not a sin to be tested. But you got to know who's behind what's going on or you won't fight. If you don't resist the devil, if you don't know that what's going on is of the devil or demonic and it's something that he's invading in your life, if you don't know that's the devil, you won't fight it. You'll just take your pills and talk about how bad you feel. 
But if you know it's a devil, you have a reason to resist and a reason to fight. And not just lay there and take it like, well, everybody does this. I mean, I'm no different than anybody else, and why should I? No. We have a different way of living than the world does. We've been translated out of the world and its ways and its ideas into a new kingdom. Now, the laws of this new kingdom are different than the laws of that old one. We've been released from the law of sin and death. And as Christ is, so are we in this kingdom. But if we let the devil come in and we don't resist him, then while we have been redeemed from this stuff, we'll have to still have it. I mean, being redeemed doesn't mean that the devil can't tempt you or fight you or come against you. He certainly can. You have to fight. You have to overcome. That's what Christians do. They overcome. But they overcome nothing unless they know what they're fighting and must overcome it. you got to do that. Now, Luke chapter 13, verse 11 through 16, is speaking of spirits of infirmity. And behold, there was a woman which had a spirit of infirmity 18 years. Now, let me ask you a question. It's like a class tonight. What was wrong with this woman? Well, it goes on to say she had a bowed back. She was bent over. And the Bible says could in no wise, by no method, means, or by bow flex or nothing, could she lift herself up. She was hopelessly bent over. She couldn't do a lot of normal things that you all take for granted to do. She couldn't do that. She's bowed over. If you think about what it would be like if your back was bowed like that for 18 years, what you couldn't do, how difficult it would be to, to do simple things, making beds, sometimes dressing yourself, getting certain kinds of stuff on. I mean, it'd be very uncomfortable. You wouldn't want it. I'm sure she wouldn't either because the Bible said it was a spirit. Wasn't some idea or some, well, just unfortunate event in her life. It was a spirit. That's why I said religious people don't like to talk like that, but it's the truth. Woman had a spirit of infirmity for 18 years. And she was bowed over and could in no wise raise herself up. And verse 12, and when Jesus saw her, he said, the poor soul, Bless her heart. I'm glad that's not me. Man, I'd hate to be like that. Boy, that's got to be tough. He looked at her and he said, whoo we. I wonder how she gets around. No, we do that, and we think we have a lot of compassion, and we usually do when we feel sorry for people. I would. I mean, I'm sure we would. But Jesus had more than feelings. He said, and when Jesus saw her, he called her to him. That's what he did to us. And he said unto her, Woman, thou art loosed from thine infirmity. Would loose from imply bound or bondage? If you were bound by something, if you were chained to a wall and somebody unchained you and you were loose from that wall, then you're no longer bound or attached to this wall. Now here's a woman whom Jesus saw her and he said, Woman, come here. Let's see how he did this. Did he lay hands on her? Did he spit on her or what? Because one time he did spit. Verse 13, he spoke to her first, and then he laid his hands on her, and immediately she was made straight and glorified God. I would too. If it had been my daughter, my mother, my wife, I really would have joined her. Because for the first time in 18 years, this woman is normal. 
I don't know how she got that way. The Bible doesn't say people get that way. We don't always know why, but they don't get that way because God needs something to do. They get that way for a reason. When the Lord Jesus laid hands on her, she was straightened up. Who caused this? Said a spirit of infirmity. But in verse 16, it tells us specifically what this was all about. Jesus is speaking. It says, oh, here it goes. It's red letter. That means Jesus said this. And ought not this woman being a daughter of Abraham whom Satan hath bound, lo, these 18 years be loosed from this bond on the Sabbath? Would you say that all bowed backs are the same devil? Now, not many would. They'd just simply say, well, this one was. Well, now the Bible said this bowed back was a spirit of infirmity, which means the devil did it, either directly or indirectly, whether he did it through a demon or whether he did it himself. This is what you're dealing with. What will you do as a Christian when you ever come across this and somebody asks you for prayer or for answers or ask you questions about this? What would you do? What would you say? What is the spirit of infirmity? What does infirmity mean? Infirmity is a common word in the Bible. It's used about 26 times. Asthenia or asthenia, whatever how you would say it. It's the word often used for infirmity, but it doesn't always mean sickness. It doesn't always mean disease. Paul said, for example, in Romans chapter 8 and verse 26, he said, For the Spirit helpeth our infirmities with these groanings and so forth, because we don't know how to pray as we ought. Well, if infirmity meant sickness, it would have said this. But we don't know how to pray as we should because we have sickness. For the Spirit helpeth our diseases. That wouldn't make sense. Paul said, when I am weak, then I'm strong. He said, I praise God for my infirmities. He's not talking about, as some commentators say, well, he was praising God. His eyes were glued together, and, you know, he was stoned once. Paul was stoned one time and drug out of a city, and they stoned him. That's a pretty definite way to die because they don't shoot marbles at you in order to stone you. They throw rocks at you, and when they knock you down, and they get a little closer, and then they start doing it like that, and then some of them in there can do it like that. Stoning was a sure death. And so they stoned Paul, and they went back into the town, got rid of him, and then he made his way back up out of those rocks and cleaned himself off and went back into the city. Boy, that's tough. He is tough. He was tough. And some say, well, the effect of that stoning was it disfigured his face and it affected his vision. And Paul could no longer see right, and he had these weak eyes, and they think that's what was meant by his thorn in the flesh, the infirmity of his flesh. That means that Paul had these weak eyes, and he had difficulty seeing things right. He was so ugly that, you know, his visage was his terrible-looking man. Little fella couldn't preach good. When he'd go places, he had to do like this because his eyes were ugly. Or he had to cover his face so people wouldn't pass out or vomit or something while he's preaching. Well, I'm just telling you how silly it is of what you read in some of these commentaries. Then Paul had the gall to turn around and write in 1 Corinthians 11. He said, for this cause, many are weak and sickly among you, as though he wasn't. But actually, he wasn't. You see, when God raised him up and healed him, I'm sure he healed his disfigured face. And his caved-in head, I'm sure he put it all back to normal. 
And whatever blood he lost, I'm sure he got a new supply. I don't think God half heals anybody. But the word infirmity here, Paul said, if I'm going to boast of anything in the kingdom of God, I'm going to boast of my infirmities. I got more diseases and sicknesses than any of you. No, it ain't what he's talking about. Because see, the word infirmity, not only can it mean sickness and disease, it can also mean weakness, feebleness, insufficiency of. When Paul said, I boast of my infirmities, he was saying, I'm going to tell you what, I am not a very capable preacher or a capable anything. I am the least of all the apostles. I am the chief of sinners. Now, if I'm going to boast of anything, I'm going to boast about the fact that I stand in constant need of God. I can do nothing without God. But when I'm weak, when I recognize my weakness, and I'm not trying to do the church thing or the preacher thing, I just let the Lord do when he wants to, as he wants to, then I'm strong because it's the anointing that God gives. God wants to use a vessel for his glory, not use a vessel that gets the glory. And Paul said, I'm going to boast of my weaknesses or my infirmities. But that's not what infirmity is here. In this spirit of infirmity, it was a bowed back. So it can mean sickness. It can mean disease. That's what it means here. It can mean malady. It can be frailty. It could be disease, weakness. But here, properly, it means infirmity. Go to Luke chapter 8 about these infirm spirits and healing. Luke 8, verse 2. And certain women which had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities. Let me ask you all something, just two verses into this. Is the devil and disease together? What about all disease? What about all infirmities? about all sicknesses. I mean, see, if you're going to say yes to that, you need to know the Bible confirms that. Because a lot of people don't want to think that that's true, and they say that's not true. For example, a person who gets an ulcer, he didn't get it because the devil put an ulcer on him. He got it because he worried. Well, who do you think enticed a man to worry? It was Jesus that said, take no thought. What does the devil do? Take thought. So you deviate from the right way, and you get over into concern and struggle with Things and you get an ulcer. You say, well, what are you going to do about difficulties in your life? I think, well, didn't you all sing a song a while ago? I know you did because I heard it. I was singing with you. I cast all my cares upon him. Didn't Jesus say concerning cares to take no thought? Didn't he say that? Do not cares confront you in life? Don't you have your share of them? Of course you do. What do you do with them? It all depends on what you believe. It all depends on what you believe. You can sit at home and struggle with your money problems and your any other kind of problems, and you can blow steam and make bad confessions if you want to, but they'll be there in the morning. Or you can take it, as the song said, you can take it to the Lord in prayer. You can say, Father, I'll put you in remembrance. Isaiah 43, 26, I'm going to put you in remembrance. You have said, you have told us that what things soever we desire, here it is. I've got a problem, but you're a problem solver. You said you'd never leave me nor forsake me. Now here I am. I'm trusting you to do that. I've got a problem. I need some help. I can't solve this. I don't know what to do. I'm not smart enough to fix this, but you are. Now I release myself from human ability, and I turn myself to you to say, teach me thy way so I can walk in your truth. You just trust the Lord. 
The devil doesn't want anybody to do that. That's why he tries to talk you out of your faith. He wants you to do things the way you think you should. After all, you're not helpless. And doesn't the Bible say God helps those that help themselves? I think Ben Franklin said that, didn't he? That's not in the Bible. People like for that to be in the Bible because if they don't get an answer, they can always say, well, I just, God didn't want to do it for me. God didn't want to give it to me. I tried, I prayed it, and it didn't work. Faith is not even an issue to those people. And they pervert the gospel, and they go astray, and they never get blessed, and they blame God in the end. Well, I went to church, I tried, I prayed, I gave. They didn't get anything. But it says, And certain women which had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities, Mary called Magdalene, out of whom went seven devils, in Luke 8, 2. What were these devils doing in there? Well, it doesn't say specifically what each one was doing, but I'll tell you what some of them were doing. They made her sick. She probably had chronic sicknesses, persistent pain, arthritis, coughing, headaches. She probably had something that just wouldn't go away. And it was the work of a devil, but she didn't know that. But when Jesus came along, he knew that. And he healed her of all these demonic things that came along. So let me ask you a question again tonight. Are all infirmities demonic? Now, you need to listen. I'm not going to slip up on you and trick you. I want you to know what you're saying. Are all diseases, are all infirmities demonic? Are we always dealing with the devil when we are dealing with infirmities? Either directly or indirectly. You say, well, the ulcer is because you worried. You worried because you missed God. You didn't have to worry, but you chose to worry. You might have been taught not to worry, but you chose to anyway. Just like you're told to trust God for all your needs, and many people don't want to do that. And so they get into all kinds of dire situations, and they can't get out of them, not for a while. Because the devil just leads them astray. Oh, they go into their own thinking. Oh, I know God said that in the Bible, but you know what I think? And here they go. That's how we all, any of us, gets in trouble with sin. He that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is sin. Are we always dealing with the devil when we deal with infirmity and sickness? If so, if so, if that's true, then every case of sickness is spiritual. It's not natural. It's spiritual. It reveals itself in the natural realm. You feel it, you see it, you can hear it. But behind it, is a spirit. Now, if that's true, then you deal with it in the spirit. You can put a pill in it. You can cut it open and take that part out the devil's manifesting through. You can do that, and it seems like it's all right now. Or you can put syrup in it, or you can rub it with something and make it feel better, but you're dealing with the spirit. That's what Jesus did. Jesus never told anybody, well, where does it hurt? Well, how long has it been hurting that way? Huh. You know what? He never even considered methods of man to treat anybody. Do you know that? He always dealt with things either by touching them, speaking to them. Or in one case, like I say, spitting. He doesn't say he spit on them. He just says he spit. And in every case, they got healed. 
He never suggested any method, any means besides God because this is a spiritual confrontation between two kingdoms, the kingdom of darkness and the kingdom of light. And he dealt with it with authority because the Father had sent him to destroy. Remember 1 John 3? For this cause the Son of Man came into the world that he might destroy the works of the devil. Not God, as some people think, but of the devil. And so he began to deal with it. But now with this question, when you ask the question, does God make people sick? Now be quiet now. Does God make people sick? Does he put diseases on some people? Because you got those that would come back with this. In Exodus chapter 15, they quote this. They say, well, now didn't God say he would not lay on us the diseases he laid on the Egyptians? Does he say that in Exodus 15 and verse 26? He said, if you will walk in my statutes and keep my ways and go the right way, the way that I'm showing you and telling you, if you will do it the way I want you to do it, he said, I will put on you none of the diseases that I have laid on the Egyptians. Well, then we would have to come away from there and say, well, then he laid diseases on the Egyptians. Then God is a sick maker. If this is all you read, you'd have to say, yes, he can. He'll put sickness on you. And then we're in a quandary because if God puts sickness on you, then you should never try to get it off. If he puts it on you, then you should keep it. Wouldn't that be God's will? If God puts something on you that wasn't right, wouldn't it be his will? If God Almighty made somebody sick, that would be what God wanted. He wants you sick. Then this person should never pray to be well, shouldn't try to get well, shouldn't seek any wellness or attention for this pain and suffering because it's God's will. Now, you're hurting both ways now. You can't go to a doctor. You, you can't get any relief. If he does that, because it says here, he would put on you none of the diseases he put on the Egyptians. Or go to Exodus 12. Maybe it's this way. Maybe Exodus chapter 12. This would maybe confirm that. Exodus 12 and verse 12. He said that he would go through the land of the Egyptians. I will pass through the land of Egypt this night, the night of the Passover, and will smite all the firstborn in the land of Egypt. Does that mean that God now will kill the babies or the firstborn of any home that doesn't have the blood over the doorposts? Then God is a killer. He's a sick maker and a killer. Now, if God makes people sick and God kills people, then how do you pray about the problems you're seeing in the world or yourself? Maybe the unsaved world is right. Why would God let such things happen? Why would God do such a thing? Or as a young lady said to me one night when her husband-to-be was tragically killed in a car wreck. Broken, I mean broken, devastatedly broken. Why would God do this? Because that's what she's been taught. And I said, God didn't do it. It's the devil. It's a thief that comes to kill and steal it, but he didn't he say here he would kill? Well, see, it just depends on how much you read or how much you're taught or what you want to believe. Because if you go to verse 23, it says, in explaining that, he said, For the Lord will pass through to smite the Egyptians, and when he sees the blood upon the lintel and on the two side posts, the Lord will pass over the door and will not suffer or allow the destroyer to come in your house and destroy you. Well, who comes in and destroys? It isn't God. It's the devil. The devil is the destroyer. 
You only have to see a few things. Sometimes God says, I will do this and I will do that. But it's not God that does the actual thing. He simply allows the enemy to do it. What about lying spirits? Would God ever allow a lying spirit into the mouth of a bunch of prophets and they would lie to a man who believed that lie and then die for it? Ahab did. A lying spirit went into the mouth of his prophets. First Kings 22 and 23, these lying spirits went into these prophets and they prophesied in such a way that Ahab said, man, I really believe that. This is really right. There is so much unity here. And he followed that stuff, and he went out and was killed by the most unusual ways. One of the enemy just yanked his bow back and let an arrow fly. And it flew through the air free. Arrow was just flying through the air like a bird. And it reached its arc, and it began to come down because all things do. All good things must come down. And the arrow went and it came down, and there's Ahab standing there, and it came right through the top of his armor into his chest. Just a random arrow shot, maybe by somebody who was fleeing. Maybe he was running, just turned around, went like out there and just kept on running. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> maybe he did. And he was killed. You can cut your life short. Not only does the Bible say hypocrites, hope shall perish, but he won't live half of his days. There's a certain number of days you could live. But because of sin and rebellion and disinterest, people cut their lives short. They live far below their blessing. Church people especially do. We live far below what belongs to us, and we let the devil rob us so easy. We get so flustered about anything, and we open that door. And we whine, and we cry, and we complain, make bad choices, bad decisions. We get mad and get our jaws tight. We're not going to listen anymore, and I'm just all upset. This is a war, folks. Why would the devil leave you alone? Who in here that's trying to serve God would the devil just leave you alone because, oh, he's trying to serve the Lord. I can't touch him. We must, through much tribulation, enter into the kingdom. You're a target. Once you say, I do to God, and you're willing to put your hands on that plow and not look back if you're that willing, you're a target. The way ahead of you is not easy. The Bible says with difficulty, the righteous make it. You look around this world, a number of people that are giving up their lives because they believe. There are people in other countries who are so far beyond us in their commitment to Jesus, they're willing to die. They are so convinced about who he is. I was telling a man tonight, I've got a sermon brewing and the title of the sermon is, If There Is a Hell, dot, dot, dot. If there is a hell, because some people don't think there is, but I'm going to get my sermon all out. But if there is, people apparently don't know about it. Everybody's going to die. We're all going to die. You don't live forever. Not in this world, not in this body. And you will die. And what a fool all of us are who neglect this great salvation that God gives us so that we can ramble through life trying to make ends meet and trying to make something out of our lives. And Jesus came to set us free from all that stuff. But the problem is that people are not convinced of what God said is true. If you knew there was a hell, if you knew tonight there was a terrible torment for all the rebellion, unbelieving people in this world, 
you would be on your knees crying out to God for mercy. God, spare me from that awful place. But it's not that real. It's not that big a deal. We're in this fun and games mode right now in this world. A lot of you are young. You're going to live forever. I tell you, this the longest years of your life are the first 20. And after that, you need to buckle up. But it's real. There are devils out there. And if they can make your time in this world miserable by sickness and pain and make you accept it, well, you know, this runs in the family. Just accept it then. That's yours. You can't get away from it. It's, it's yours. Or you got this disease, you know, and it's never going away. And he wants you to accept that. And all of that's a lie. I don't care what package the devil brings to anybody. From cancer in its worst stages to bad hearts and bad anythings or any kind of miserable, exotic diseases. I don't care what they are. There is none of them greater or stronger than God and his ability to eliminate it from your body. Period. Because it's a spiritual matter. It is a spirit you're dealing with. The reason we don't like to hear that is because we have wrestled with physical things. And the gall that I would have a spirit. Well, have you ever had a headache? Can a Christian have a bowed back? Now, somebody's going to have to help me. Could you be saved with a bowed back? Or are you disqualified from heaven because your back's bowed? Is a bowed back the work of a devil? Then why has it stayed bowed? Because somebody's ignorant. Or they're walking some things out, or they haven't run into the anointing yet. Could be a lot of things. Could be a bunch of things. But this business about who's behind sickness and what's the devil doing, who's behind all of that stuff, it's the devil. It's the devil. Turn to Acts 10. Acts chapter 10. See, they accused Jesus once. He was casting out devils, healing the sick. Luke 11, it tells this story, verse 15 and following. And they said to Jesus, said, he's casting out devils by Beelzebub. It's a word that describes Satan. It's called Lord of the Flies or the Fly God. And they said, his power comes from the devil. And Jesus made this astounding statement, which will fix something for us tonight about who's behind sickness. Jesus said, if I, by the power of the devil, am casting out devils, are you with me? If I, by Satan's power, am casting out Satan, that's a house divided against itself. That's the devil fighting the devil. The devil made them sick, and I'm casting sickness out by the devil. He said, it'll make sense. He said, a house divided against itself cannot stand. If God made anybody sick, anybody, anybody in Jesus' day, if he made anybody sick, if God did, and Jesus healed them, then the house is divided. Jesus is breaking the will of God over somebody's life. Fact of the matter is, God wants them well. He bore your pains. If he bore them, they're not mine. And he bore all of our diseases. If he bore them, they're not mine. I have been delivered from it. But who believes it? Isaiah 53 verse 1 begins with a question. Who hath believed our report? What church member in America believes this. Well, anybody can say I do. 
but not by the way you're living, you don't believe it. I mean, our lives, our actions, as well as our words tell what we believe. You don't get mad when you hear the truth. You don't get upset and walk out and fire the preacher because he told you the truth. Like Paul said to the Galatians, he said, am I become your enemy because I'm telling you the truth? Am I to be hated or despised because of truth? It's the truth that'll make you free. It's the devil who's behind all this junk and trash and physical and dismal physical stuff in the world. You can't even hide that in the Bible. He's behind all of it because how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth, Acts 10, 38, with the Holy Ghost and power, who went about doing good. What was good? And healing all who were oppressed by the devil. Is sickness oppression? It's hard to be joyful and exuberant and the way you should be when you're sick all the time, when you don't feel good, when you're oppressed. I thank God for feeling good. I do. I really do because I count that a real blessing because a lot of my life I didn't. Many years ago, it wasn't like that, but it is now. I praise God for it because I know the source of my healing as well as I know who the source was of my oppression, how the devil went through my mother and father's family, my wife's family, and we look at all the oppression in our family tree and we think, that's not ours. The devil wants to try to pass that down to you because it's in the tree. I don't receive that. Why? Because he's born all of that for me. They didn't know that. I do. And as Harry Truman said, the buck stops here. I have been delivered. I have been filled with the Holy Spirit. Many years ago, God opened my eyes and I began to see this wonderful truth. It hadn't endeared me to a lot of people, but it's true. And you shall know the truth, not half truth, not part of the truth, not kind of the truth. You shall know the truth. And the truth will do a work in you to set you free. It'll heal you. It'll deliver you. It'll set you free. Notice he said in Acts 10, 33, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and power who went about doing good. That's what we're supposed to do. As God sent him, he sends us too, didn't he? He went about doing good and healing most who were afflicted. Now listen to me. If he said all, he means all. He didn't leave any of them in there in case God wanted a few of them unalled. He healed them all. Because he said all of them. All of them were oppressed of the devil. Listen to this, and you don't have to turn to this, Luke 4, 40. It says, and he laid his hands on every one of them and healed them. There wasn't one chance in all the crowd in Luke 4, there wasn't a single chance that any sick person in that crowd was divinely sick. There wasn't a single person in that crowd whom God made sick. Jesus said, the Bible said he healed them all. Didn't leave any of them out. He healed them all. Luke chapter 6, 19, it says, And the whole multitude sought to touch him, for there went virtue out of him, and healed them all. That means there wasn't a single sick person who was divinely sick. They were all under oppression and bondage. 
Matthew 12, 15 says, And great multitudes followed him, and he healed them all. Great multitudes followed him, and he healed them all. The Bible speaks of the healings with the blind and the deaf and the dumb. There were birth defects. You know, the man who was impotent from his mother's womb and never walked. There was withered arms. There were cripples. There were those that had palsy, those that were lunatic, those who were thrown into the fire and and had seizures. He healed them all because every one of those things is demonic. We're willing to let it be because we don't know how to fight it in the church. Or we tried to fight it once and it didn't work by Thursday afternoon, so we quit. I'm talking about us now. We give in too easy. Some things you have to bear down because the devil is never, ever discouraged. You never will defeat the devil so much that he won't come back. He always comes back. You cast him out, he comes back. When the unclean spirit is gone out of a man, then goeth he and taketh with himself seven other spirits more wicked than himself, and they come back to that clean, garnished house, and they enter in there, and it's worse than it ever was before because people quit fighting. They let their guard down. That's what the weapons are for, the shield and the sword and the helmet and, the, and all the things that cover you up because you're in a real warfare, not against your neighbor next door or that annoying person at the work, but the devil. You have authority over these spirits and these other people. You can bind things before you go to work. Didn't Jesus say what things ever you'd bind on earth will be bound in heaven? You think of that. He said, you're my representatives on this earth. Now, whatever you bind... Heaven will back it. And whatever you allow, we'll let it go. You don't want to fight, we won't help you. If you want to fight, you got us to back it. You got heaven backing. Whatever you bind on earth will have been bound in heaven. And whatever you allow on this earth, heaven will allow it. You want to be sick, God will let you be sick. You want to be broke, he'll let you be broke. You want to be down in the dumps and a little whining something, he'll let you. And you'll displease him every day of your life. Because he's not glorified any of that stuff. Well, never in the Bible, never was a time in the Bible when somebody was sick and Jesus walked by and said, praise God. Let's give the Lord a hand here. There was never a soul in all of Israel that Jesus ever said, be sick. He healed them all. He healed them all. When he brought them out of Egypt... Even though they were rebellious, the Bible said there wasn't a feeble one amongst them, a million of them. Not one feeble soul. Not old people, not young babies. There was nobody feeble. Shouldn't it be better for us under a new covenant? Talking about spirits here, folks. Turn to Job, book of Job. Job chapter 2 and then Job chapter 42. That's the last chapter. Who's behind all this, this demonic activity of sickness and so forth? Job chapter 2, verse 7. So Satan went forth from the presence of the Lord and smote Job with sore boils from the sole of his foot unto his crown. That'd be the top of his head. Have you ever seen a boil? I'm not going to ask you if you've ever had one. I don't think I've ever had a boil either, but I've seen them. Oh, 
big old ugly raised up thing and the hole getting the top and stuff comes out of it and it's terribly painful. What if they had them all over your body? Well, the question is, where do they come from? Well, he ate some tainted hamburger last night somewhere and he got, no. Not a natural thing here. This is a spiritual thing. Oh, you can drink something, eat something wrong and, and not know better and have to deal with that. But you don't have to stay like that. He can't stand. I guess ashes. He had to burn a lot of wood to make a lot of ashes to set it. Maybe ashes, something was in ashes that helped relieve him the pain or the discomfort. I mean, this man was terrible. Plus the devil in chapter 1 had killed all of his children. Killed them. All of his children. All of his possessions. All of his animals. Here was a man that was once a great man. Has nothing. And then three friends came to make it worse. Now, who was behind his boils? Look at chapter 42 and look at verse 11. What would you call a boil-laden life? Would you call it bondage, oppression, or would you call it captivity? Verse 10, and the Lord turned the captivity of Job when he prayed for his friends, and also the Lord gave him a new car. What does it say? He blessed him more than he had ever been blessed. He walked through some really bad times, didn't he? I mean, nobody understood him. Everybody was against him, even his wife. Lost everything, couldn't even mourn because of his terrific pain and discomfort. And when he prayed for his friends, and he saw what God was showing him, God healed his boils because he said this kind of a life is called captivity. You're bound. You can't get away from it. And people are telling you it's natural. I mean, it's just maybe blood poisoning or something, these balls, you know, some kind of a staph infection. And, you know, sometimes it happens, sometimes it doesn't. No, sir. No, sir. No, sir. This is spiritual. This is a spiritual matter. It's not a physical matter. It shows up physically, but it's a spiritual matter. You deal with it spiritually. Now, you all should know better than that. I mean, know better than sit there quiet. Let me see if we can prove it. James chapter 5, is any among you sick? Is that still in the Bible? If y'all heard something like that, kind of. Is any among you sick? Let him call the emergency room. Now, what does it say? Is any among you sick? What does he do? Call the elders of the church, and they shall anoint him with oil and prayer. And what will happen? And the prayer of faith, what? What was the cause of his sickness? It doesn't say what the symptoms were, but from reading the rest of the Bible, I know that is any among you sick, it's the work of the devil. I know God didn't do it, but I know that God brought the relief and the victory because he said the prayer of faith might heal the sick. You ought to try it anyway. No, he said the prayer of faith will heal the sick. Now, you can't try this and hope it works because he might say while you're trying, be it unto you. According to your faith. Now, if you've been robbed of your faith, you're still desolate. Remember in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, there were many weak and sickly among them, and they had gifts of healings in that church. It didn't work. This is the hardest part about the message of healing, this part right here. Because a lot of people want to know why things don't work well, why it didn't work out for them. Why didn't it work? Obviously, we can't answer all those questions. And I do know this, that sometimes struggling with physical things and Nobody knows what you're going through when you're going through some hard times physically. Nobody knows. 
And I know a lot of people have sought relief and sought help. I'm not anybody's enemy. I'm just saying that there's a better way. But if you can't trust that way yet, keep coming and listen and put yourself before this word and pray that God will drop into your heart the meaning of this word and the faith that goes with it. Listen, your heart will confirm what God says, and you'll know. You'll just know when it's faith, you know you're healed. And that's the end of all this other stuff. You may not feel better. You may not look better. You may not sound better. There may still be some, oh, but you know it's going to work because God said it would. It's a spiritual matter. And you confess it, and it works. Just like talking to a mountain was a spiritual matter, wasn't it? Unless you think you can just go around and holler at a tree and it'll go in the ocean. Or holler at the mountains and they just get, no, it's a spiritual matter. When you have to, when God anoints, it's in your way. The obstacles of life in your way, it's spiritual. You speak the word only. Jesus speaks to fevers. Jesus spoke to diseases. He put his fingers in a little deaf and dumb boy, he put his fingers in there, had a speech impediment. His tongue was tied to the back of his mouth. He said, and he was born away, perhaps. And he put his fingers in his ear and he spat, Mark 7. And the tongue, his tongue was loose, and he immediately began to talk and hear. It wasn't a struggle with Jesus because he knew what he was dealing with. He was dealing with the devil. They knew who he was. Remember the first time he came into the synagogue and preached when Jesus came along, they said, Oh, no, it's you. Hast thou come to torment us before our time? He said, be still. And they had to be still. Well, if they had to be still when he spoke, what do you think they have to do when you speak if you believe? You're his representatives. We represent him on this earth, not the Pope, us. We are his kingdom. He said, you go into all the world and you teach others and you do what I've done. Remember Mark 16, these signs shall follow those of you who believe. And two of the first things he talks about is speaking in tongues and casting out devils, taking up serpents, two-legged ones. He said, I give you authority over serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy. He didn't say go around picking up things that sting. Look here, I can pick up a stinging thing. and ain't what he meant. It's a spiritual matter. You have power from God. You have been seated in heavenly places with him. You represent him on this earth. You do what he did. You let him lead you and guide you. Believe the way he believes. Walk the way he leads. Let him anoint you and quit pressing in and trying to do it yourself and watch him be glorified in your life. You're dealing with spirits and you want to overcome these things. Now, why are we so often impotent in dealing with these things? It's difficult to answer that. But I do know this. There are reasons why people are not receiving from God his promises. Just like in 1 Corinthians 1, they weren't receiving. They had the Paul the Apostle preaching to them. All they had gifts of healings there. It didn't work. It didn't work. And I don't know why. It could be sin. It could be rebellion. Maybe you're here tonight and you got a smile on your face, but inside you're thinking, no, I don't know about all that stuff. Well, it won't work for you. And when you get prayed for, nothing will happen. you got to be clean. You have to deal with stuff in your life that's adverse to God. This is the devil's ploy to turn you, pervert you from the truth. Because when he gets you out of faith, you can't do anything. Nobody can either. Nobody else can do anything for you. In your business, you have to be honest. You have to treat your employees right. There's things in Proverbs about that. 
You can't lie. You can't cheat. You can't steal. You can't use people. You can't manipulate things. You're a Christian, and if you want to be a clean Christian, free from unrighteousness and open to God and his power, then you've got to make the right decisions. We're Christians. We don't lie. We don't cheat. We don't steal. We don't sign petitions. We don't protest. We don't march. We don't try to intimidate people or demand our rights. We are Christians. Our kingdom is a spiritual kingdom. It's not of this world. It's coming. And we begin to put our hands on the plow. We begin to separate ourselves from everything that God must judge. And we draw back from all this stuff, and, and we trust God. My wife and I can tell you tonight, by the grace of God, that God is faithful. He really is faithful. He does heal and deliver and give purpose and meaning to life in a sense that it's more than you ever thought it could be. That it doesn't take all those things out there. You thought, if I could just have that, I'd be. it doesn't take that anymore. Or maybe we're just too old to want anything. I have everything I want. I have peace. I have joy. But I want to keep it. I don't ever want in my lifetime to take for granted all the distance we travel. So I don't want to ever take that for granted. Oh, it'll work for me. It always hit. No. It's a daily war. It's a daily battle. Every day you have to cling to God. Every single day. You're never a match for the devil. You are more than a conqueror through Christ. In closing, I want you to turn to Matthew 17. Matthew 17 and verse 17. Now, Jesus is just cast out in verse 15. A boy was a lunatic. His mind didn't function normal. This was a grieving father who had a son that just took all of his time and was difficult. You had to watch him all the time because the devil was always trying to kill this little boy, throwing him in water, throwing him in fire, anything he could to destroy him. And this father came to Jesus' disciples, and they couldn't do anything. And in verse 17 through verse 20, Then Jesus answered and said, O faithless and perverse generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I suffer you? Bring him here to me. Now let me ask you all a question. Had these men been sent out two by two before? Had they not cast out devils and healed the sick and raised the dead and so forth? Well, what happened here? didn't work. I brought him to thy disciples. You know what the man said? I brought him to thy disciples, verse 16, and he's nothing better. You know what Jesus said? Now, who's he talking to? Oh, faithless and perverse generation. That's tough. Bring him to me. How long am I going to put up with you? Bring him here. And Jesus rebuked the devil, and he departed out of him and the child was cured from that very hour. What was wrong with the child? They had a devil in him. They treat it with all kinds of drugs to make them steal. You take kids to the hospital today, they just drug them up so they're not a problem. Parents are happy. Everybody's happy as long as there's no problems. He brought him to Jesus and he cured him. The devil came out of him. Verse 19. Then came the disciples to Jesus apart and said to him, why couldn't we cast him out? Why didn't it work? And Jesus said unto them, because of what? Because you are tired and weary. You've been up all night long. And what he said? He said, because of your unbelief. They would have said, Lord, we do believe. We've done it before. The other day, last week, last month, last year, we did it. 
We said the same words, the same method, shook the same way, and nothing happened. Why didn't it work? He said, because of your unbelief. Because of your unbelief. Maybe it was you got proud of what you did. Remember that verse in Luke 17 when they came back rejoicing? Even the devils are subject to us in thy name. Jesus said, I beheld Satan as lightning fall from heaven. Do you remember that? The devil got all puffed up about who he was and his position in heaven, and he fell because of it. He was cast to the earth. The Bible says so. Sometimes God anoints us. A lot of preachers get anointed and things get anointed and movements start. And what happens? Somebody gets all the credit. Pictures, books, movies, magazines, who we are. They travel from worldwide to see you just touch me. People get the glory for all this stuff. Jesus said the reason you couldn't cast this devil out is because of your unbelief. That's what he said in verse 20. Because of your unbelief, for verily I say unto you, if you have faith as a grain of mustard seed, you shall say to this mountain, remove hence to yonder place, and it shall remove, and nothing shall be impossible to you. Then he did say sometimes they go out by prayer and fasting. At the next verse. Maybe people don't fast, never have fasted. The average person might pray in seven-day period, might pray two minutes in a whole week, maybe two minutes. That's during church. Too busy, we're on the TV, magazines, visiting, phones, computers the rest of the week. We seldom ever pray. We just take for granted. I go to church, they preach a word, surely everything's going to be all right, and it's not all right. Nobody can make it right. God has declared it can be right, but you've got to believe that, and nobody can believe for you. Amen. Now, next week, we want to touch on a few other things, unclean spirits and how you see those, and then I want to bring it to a close, maybe the week after or maybe next week. But I want you to see as we end tonight that it is you and me on this earth that represent God. It is us who are supposed to cast out demons. We can't cast anything out if we don't know anything about it. And we can't know anything about it unless we hear about it. And you can't know what you're hearing is true unless you believe it. you got to listen. you got to take it to heart. And you recognize I'm not good at this, and you start praying, God, give me courage and show me how to do the things you want me to do. And you'll find in little things. He'll lead you in little things. Maybe praying over somebody for some kind of a problem, and they come back to you the next day and say, you know, I'm all well now. Told a lady in a prayer line once she had a headache. This is back in the late 70s. It's just one of those moments. I laid hands on her and I said, you know what? You're never going to have a headache again in Jesus' name, okay? And I went to the next person. She came back two years later at a meeting up there and she said, you know, I've never had another headache. I didn't go, oh, imagine. <laughs> All I can say was, I praise God with you. I wouldn't say that off the cuff to anybody, but it does say what things soever you bind will be bound. If you do something about it, God will back you because he said he would. Father, in Jesus' name, we ask you to bless the truth of this word to our hearts and make us to understand it. Understand it so that we can live it and do it and please you so that we might truly be doers of the word and not just hearers only. And I bless these folks that are here tonight. Give them understanding. Make them to be strong and have courage to walk in your light. I ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Stand to your feet. Praise the Lord.
Amen. Let's sing, I'm not under the curse. Amen. Oh, I'm not under, under the, the curse. curse. I'm not under the law. I'm under the precious blood of Jesus. I'm not under the curse. I'm not under the law. I'm under the precious blood of Jesus. And there's healing in Jesus. And there's joy, true joy in Jesus. And there's peace that passes all understanding in Him as we walk each day by day. Let's sing it one more time. Well, I'm not under the curse. I'm not under the law. I'm under the precious blood of Jesus. I'm not under the There's healing in Jesus, and there's joy, true joy in Jesus, and there's peace that passes all understanding in Him as we walk each day by faith, as we walk each day, as we walk each day by faith, as we walk each day. 